everyone, <laughs> and welcome to Televisions, the podcast, an audio companion to the Televisions website and a show made by Anglophiles for Anglophiles. I am Lacey Bogermilis, and I'm the editor here at Televisions, and joining me as per usual is my co-host Annie Bundle, and as less usual, my cat Hammersmith is also <laughs> in here. And I offered him the opportunity to climb up to the top of the closet where he likes to nap, and he rejected it. And now I'm getting ankle rubs. And so if you hear like sad meows, nothing's wrong with him. He's just in here and wants something. He just needs attention. Yeah. The secret the secret is that my closet door doesn't close all the way. And it also it gets really hot if I close it all the way. So we're doing it. This is live uh live podcasting. So. Live Live um, kitten podcast. Yeah. Maybe Hammersmith liked Great Expectations. Maybe he did. I don't know. He slept through a large portion of it, so I'm going <laughs> to suggest that he did not. But surprise, <laughs> that is our topic for the week. We are discussing the new FX adaptation of Great Expectations that streams on Hulu. Mm-hmm. I, it's just, I can't even keep up with like the stupid media industry right now and the dumb ways that they are labeling and releasing things. Okay, think of think of FX as Marvel, okay? It gets released on Disney+, Plus, but it's Marvel's She-Hulk. This is FX's Great Expectations. I don't really, I don't really watch linear television very much anymore unless it's like a sporting event, and usually that's only college basketball. But like, did this air on FX or is it only streaming? It's only streaming. It's only streaming. So the only way you guys can watch this is on Hulu. And that may be a mercy depending on your perspective. <laughs> well, okay. Um, Let's see. First of all, I want to talk about the fact that this is uh, Stephen Knight's second attempt at Dickens. And the thing is, is I love Peaky Blinders. I mm-hmm. love Stephen Knight's really weird, like, gritty, dirty, old-timey England vibes, but I, whew, it does not work for me on his Dickens. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um. The first one he did in 2019 was A Christmas Carol, which is, of course, the best-known Dickens there is. And, it um, was not particularly festive. <laughs> well, okay, so... Stephen Knight, um, I actually did a roundtable with him and the cast uh, ahead of the debut of the first two episodes. And he basically said in that interview that his idea is to basically take Dickens and do the things Dickens couldn't do. You know, Dickens couldn't talk about drug use or opium or or prostitution or any of those sorts of things in the 1800s and get published magazines. It, you know, the laws were against that sort of thing. It would have been, you know, it, it would have been seen as un, unpublishable. And so all Stephen Knight says he's doing is adding in the things that Dickens would have put in there had he been publishing these stories today. Um, in the case of A Christmas Carol, I believe that included pedophilia? Uh, or the suggestion of it, at least? I don't, I don't I don't recall it being, like, fully depicted, but it was just, it was not great. Mm-hmm. It was not great. Dickens um, loves drugs is basically also a, a recurring theme. <laughs> um, so, in, in Great Expectations, we don't have anything quite so um controversial shall we say but we do have quite a bit of um drug use we have uh pip sells opium at one point in order to uh afford clothing he, he uses opium there's yeah. a brothel there's some bdsm like this is not your english major great expectations yeah 
I mean, at one point, like literally they hire one of the church ladies to come in and take his virginity in order to so that Pip will be a man. Like these are the Oof. things that we that, that literally happen. Um, and it's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. I think I think before we super get into all the the weirdness of this adaptation, which granted does not have quite as much like on its face shocking elements as Mm -hmm. as that Christmas Carol. Yes, it does make some big changes to the source material to the point where I almost have to be like, is this still great expectations? I'm not sure. I'm also not sure that this is an adaptation we needed right now. I d- haven't we done Great Expectations enough? I d- didn't Dickens write other books? Make a gritty Oliver. <laughs> I mean, Stephen Knight's actually perfect for Oliver, now that I said that out loud. Like, that is... His his Fagin gang would be, like, the Peaky Blinders, but kids and, mm-hmm. like, poor Nancy's going to get, like, violently murdered. Like, I just... I can't believe he hasn't done that one yet. That's probably coming soon. I will say that actually after talking to Stephen Knight, I really thought about the musical Oliver in a way that I'd never really thought about it. And how I do anything is this sweet, cheerful way we we depict the orphans and they sing it all to Fagin and how creepy that actually is now that I think about it. Um, a, a woman gets beaten to death on stage. Yes, and I know. My eighth grade class performed that show. <laughs> yeah. I was in that show. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I I will absolutely agree with you that that Oliver should definitely be like Stephen Knight's next big project of Dickens if he was going to do one. Um I uh I found this great expectation to be very strange in a lot of ways. I I can't believe it's so edgy and so boring at the same <laughs> time. It doesn't really t- I I really felt like granted, I should caveat this with with i don't particularly like great expectations the novel mm-hmm. in the first place um but you have read it i, I do read actually... it i was okay. in, i was an english major several times over so i have read great expectations well no no i i i i'm i mostly asked this because one of the things that came out in the round table um olivia cook got basically or um not olivia cook sorry um 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 olivia coleman got asked by one of the press like what she thought of the book and uh, compared to the script and she had to admit that she'd never read it until she'd gotten this script well she's british though right like i mean i remember being forced to read it in like 11th grade well no exactly that's the thing is that the rest of the cast either had been forced to read it and hated it or had never read it and so she was not alone in this. And that basically, for most of the cast, this was the first version they'd ever read. Yeah, that's weird. Well, I don't I don't yeah. know that maybe that's easier because it does substantially change like many elements of the book, especially towards the end. Mm-hmm. But I just I mean, I don't particularly like great expectations. I don't particularly like the things it has to say about women. I don't particularly enjoy Pip as a hero. It's too long number one dickens but uh i don't know so i wasn't i was kind of hoping that this would be a little bit more fun because like if great expectations is not a fun story but if you're really gonna go all out with the blow and the prostitutes and the bdsm lady like shouldn't this be fun there is no joy in this there's no and i don't even know that there's a place for joy in this story but there's no uh, thrill 
maybe is a better word. There's no thrill. There's no excitement. There's no like, I have to keep watching this to see what kind of crazy thing is going to happen next. It felt like homework the entire time. Okay, I, I, okay, I'm, I'm going to slightly disagree with you here. I felt that episodes two through five were homework. Um, actually, three through five, excuse me, because one and two aired together, and I watched them together as a two-hour beginning. Um, and that was true on both the BBC and on Hulu. They released the first two episodes together. Um, and so I very much felt like one and two, I felt like were a decent miniseries setup that I was like, okay, this could be something. Um. And then three, four, and five just dragged. And yes, they felt like homework. Six was the only one that I felt sort of hung together. Well, that's just, that's the one that's crazy. Like it's well, because and I don't know if that's because that episode itself is good, or simply because every five minutes you're like, well, that didn't happen in the book. <laughs> like, which I... is which is in and of itself kind of like a propulsiveness, if you will. Like, what mm-hmm. is that the transgressiveness is not in the way the show is telling the story, but what it's choosing to change, mm-hmm. which isn't the same thing. Uh, I. I'm not going to disagree with you there, because definitely part of why it had my attention is I was like, wait, what? Wait, what? Wait, what? Um, And then there also just I felt like a little bit maybe because this is the one that he did so many changes in that this was the one that 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 was his more than the others. And because it was less Dickensy. And less, and less him sticking to the source material that he was more excited by it. And that the, the writing was more exciting because Stephen Knight himself was more excited by this version of Great Expectations that he'd come up with. <laughs> but he's not sticking to the source material. Well, no. I No, I mean, the point is that he, because this is where I he mean, stopped. Not even, I mean, not even at the end. No, it's it true. leaves out. Oh, I'm, so- not, it, I'm, I'm not. Spoilers. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Spoilers. If, if you have not this. watched episode six, stop here because we are. Wait, about I'm to... not gonna. I'm not gonna talk about episode oh. six right now. I'm gonna talk okay. about episode one, oh, okay. which is um, what like it makes massive changes to the book at the end of the story, but it also makes huge changes throughout. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest being, um, and I don't even like Pip, so I can't believe I'm about to say this. It pretty much cuts out all of Pip's childhood yes. and all of Pip's, you know, formative years and stuff like that, which are boring but the whole book is boring and but it it cuts out the part where you empathize with pip and where you care about him before he becomes a huge jerk and now you just like have pip as a huge jerk i hated this pip like hate like just like hate he's horrible like there's no redeeming qualities to this this character at all and i never saw him when he wasn't like this like there's no there's no fall here for mm. him. He's not corrupted by the city so much as I never saw him before this. So this is his default state to me. Mm. And I'm I'm not saying that they should put in more of Pip's childhood because this show is too long as it was. But I would have rather have had some better understanding of a Pip I could root for and less of him like drinking in a bar with Jaggers. I, I feel like you're supposed to pity him that he's a fool. And that was the overarching sense I got with Pip is that you're supposed that, that, that I was supposed to be sympathetic because I was supposed to look at this. Oh, this poor fool. Oh, this poor fool. But he's I, not even like he's not even pitiable in my estimation. Like, he's okay. so just he starts from just jerk and kind of goes from there. Yeah, he definitely you definitely get the 
there's not enough of him being sort of innocent. Yeah, there's nothing to... He's not corrupted here because I haven't seen anything to corrupt. This is just baseline. Um, And because episode, And I think this is actually also because episodes one and two were streamed together and I watched them together, any sense of him being like someone you could... Well, as you put it, root for, but somebody you could find sympathy for someone who you look at you look at the way sarah treats him and you look at the way that the world treats him and you look at him and the values that are being instilled in him and you feel bad like that was over very quickly and then you're basically with him and and miss havisham and estella which uh, i understand that miss havisham is a famous archetype but even as a 13-year-old, the first time I encountered Grid Expectations, the idea that this woman's entire life froze because she was left at the altar bugged me hard. Oh, I love Miss Havisham. Okay. I love I love the idea of Miss Havisham. Okay, that that's not I bad. love like I love like Miss Havisham as sort of this and I was really hoping because this is supposed to be like the dark, gritty Dickens, that we were really gonna lean into the misandry. Like she, her life does stop because she doesn't get married, but it also like sharpens her into just this like straight up man hating monster. Mm-hmm. And, and I do think that this show has something in the way that it presents her that acknowledges that, but it doesn't go far enough. Like she's very upfront with like, I think we should destroy all men, mm. which I enjoy. Um, and I think that makes her it doesn't ask you to feel sorry for her. It asks you to hate with her, which I think is interesting and something I wish they'd leaned in more. I don't know how you have Olivia Coleman play Miss Havisham in your show and just she disappears from it for like hours mm. and has so little to do. That was very disappointing because I thought, oh, maybe we're finally going to get like the, you know, like the Furies version of of Great Expectations where where it's just... Miss Havisham and Estella like aiming themselves like a laser to, to just ruin men's lives. And that would have been fun. This is not that. Yeah, I feel like this show wanted to go there, but didn't. I felt that Estella was too sympathetic. Like I wanted to be angry at her, angrier at her. Mm, I'm going to disagree with that because Estella was actually the one part of the show that really worked for me. Okay. Because we'll I do, I do feel like Estella in the book and Estella in a lot of sort of pop culture is is a lot softer than I think she's meant to be. I think mm-hmm. she's presented as a victim in a mm-hmm. way that does not jive to me with who that character should be. Mm-hmm. And I think she gets a lot more depth and agency here than I than I think I've maybe ever seen of any on-screen Estella, mm-hmm. and I like that. Like okay. I like that she's not I, I like that she's making choices, that she's taking ownership of some of the things that she does, even though that they're even though a lot of them aren't nice things or good things. Um, but that she owns them and that she's happy to do them. Yeah, I like that she she is definitely like Miss Havisham's weapon, but I don't think she's Miss Havisham's pawn, if mm. that makes sense. Yes, it does make sense. I don't know. Why, I don't know why they felt the need to dress her in things that look like they came from my Aunt Avis's like sitting room upholstery that was a mistake <laughs> the thing about um 
uh, Great Expectations, like, dark and gritty realism look. Like, as you said, that that is actually something that works really well in Peaky Blinders. Because literally and, everything is dirty. Mm-hmm. And I feel like... The, um. We had a we had a couple of different viewpoints on Great Expectations because we didn't do it as a uh, we didn't do it as a weekly recap. Instead, we had Janet basically reviewed it at the beginning and then Rory come in at the end. Um, and Rory's point was that every British period piece does this now, and that it's basically the default. And when this becomes the default, it it stops being dark and gritty realism and starts being 20th century 21st century looks back in with with a dark and gritty filter well i don't even know that it's necessarily a british period drama thing i think that's every television series right now i cannot i promise i will stop talking about star trek picard eventually but like (laughs) i hey no arguments here like they brought like the enterprise d back that's a spoiler if you haven't seen it but they've rebuilt the set and and it was very nostalgic and amazing but do you know what else it was well lit (laughs) <laughs> I am so tired of this trend in current like prestige TV where like it's impossible to see anything mm-hmm. like and that's like that's how I feel like that's the trend this is part of although Roy's piece is really interesting and everyone should read it and it made me think about it in a way that I hadn't before I just think that's a prestige trend right now where everything like we literally have to indicate that there's a darkness here by making it impossible to see what's going on and I hate it because I am an old lady who wears glasses now, and I would like to see the things on screen. Please stop. Um, I think that the nadir of that was definitely in Game of Thrones, where they had an entire episode where it was just black. Oh my gosh, I have no idea what happened in that in that Jon Snow episode. But honestly, but you are not you are not incorrect that this is a. Th- uh, there were literally photos of some prestige show co- that came out. That- the most recent season of House of the Dragon had this problem too. No, it was there was actually one that came out. And I don't remember what it was. Oh, it was Wicked. It was Wicked. The the, the first two photos from Wicked, and I was like, well, these would be great first look photos if they weren't basically like black and you can't see anything. I hate it. I hate it. And this is this is a movie, right? It's that that that's that's supposed to be a broad that's the Broadway play of the dark and gritty version of The Wizard of Oz, and yeah, I I, I have to agree with you that 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 this is something that is that is a problem across prestige TV. The dark and gritty has become dark, like literally impossible to see, right? I hate and like, it. can can I, I, I'd like to actually like do it a throwback. Do you remember Wolf Hall? Oh yeah. And, well, that was great because they lit it like it was actually in their time period, but they used candles. But they also lit it. You could still see everybody. There is an art to this, and it can be done. I mean, honestly, like every scene in Miss Havisham's house was nightmare. so dark. Just nightmare. Could not. Yes. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm glad she wears like an ugly wedding dress because at least like she's I could that blob there is Miss Havisham. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that watching this on a laptop was the correct choice. Had I tried to watch it on my large screen TV in my living room where you cannot black out the windows, I probably would not have been able to see scenes. And that is actually a thing that has happened also with shows that I've watched the screeners for and then tried to watch on TV. It's horrible. It's unnecessary. Like, you can tell me that something is ominous or bad and still let me see what it is. (laughs) <laughs> I'm getting off my soapbox now, but like I think okay. that's a that's a problem with this show specifically and the genre sort of in a larger sense. But 
That's why people like Bridgerton, man. It's colorful. You can see things. I do want to also, though, point out Janet's review. Janet actually really loved the show. She really did. Yes. And I, I see why she liked it. For her, you know, like she pulled out details that I would not have caught. Um, one of the things that I that that she that she actually like pointed out is um the headdress that Miss Havisham wears as part of her wedding gown is um is 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 basically uh chinoisie. And that's to point out that her money comes from opium and comes from stealing things from China. Yeah, they talk about they talk about that a little bit, and they talk yeah. about the sl- the fact that a lot of it is also funded by the slave trade, and that like the show does touch on some of the like uncomfortable elements of mm-hmm. of sort of race and colonialism and all kinds of things, but it it does it in a way that it doesn't feel like enough kind of i don't know actually no that's not a bad way of thinking of it that 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 basically like he's hand waving towards it without giving it all to us and i i don't know if that's a thing that he can really i don't know if this is a thing that Stephen knight can give all the way to us you know he i mean i don't know that he's the right person to do it anyway but still well no but i would also point out that like you know one of the thing one of his arguments was well this is what dickens would have written had he written in the 21st century Mm. but maybe the 21st century we still can't go all the way there Maybe that's a thing that that's also missing here that makes these not feel quite so um, as gritty realism as they should be. Not going far enough. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I, uh, I, I, I found this honestly. Even though I did feel like three through five were a slog, um, I thought that this was an interesting enough adaptation. And that this came at this time that I wanted to talk about it because we are very much at a moment where that sort of economic desperation is coming back, especially in the UK. But also here, you know, the inequality levels of people not being able to pull out of poverty in the way that Pip is so determined to. And so I thought that that it's a very interesting choice to go with this as a story you know you said well did we even need this right now and i i'm i'm not sure the answer is no because i do feel that this that uh, that our economic world and the the sort of you know the 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 unfairness of class lines is much starker than it used to be when i was younger and that this in a way reads in a way that it wouldn't have to me as a younger person because of that. Now, do I think it's good? <laughs> if I have to slog through homework of three through five, maybe not so much, but I do think that it is trying to say something to our present moment that older versions did not because they weren't in this present moment. Does that make sense? That's a, that, that, that sounded convoluted coming out of my mouth. <laughs> um. I don't think I entirely agree with you, or it certainly, actually, I don't even know if I disagree with you. It certainly did not speak to me okay. in that way. That's fair. Um, but that's also not something that I look to great expectations for, mm. necessarily. I think if you really want, like, Dickens on poverty or struggle or whatever, there are other, I mean, read Oliver, read David Copperfield, like, I don't know. Speaking of 
David Copperfield, can we just point out that the uh, that the David Copperfield that came out during the pandemic um, was brightly lit? <laughs> the personal life of David Copperfield with Dev Patel. So good. Um, you know, one of those one of the shows, one of the movies I wish we'd had had room for at the time. Um, but I do. You know, the thing is, is I do think Olivia Coleman's performance is amazing when she's on screen. I, she's, I just can't. I, I know I said this already, but like, truly, it stuns me that you have Olivia Coleman, who is, if not an EGOT, are like going to be an EGOT. Going to be. And like, you have Olivia Coleman and at the like height of people kind of being into her. And you're like, well, I guess we'll just like have her lurk in the window for three episodes. And that's it. Like, I thought, uh, I don't know why I thought like. I, I don't know why I thought that they were going to do this, but I th- thought with an actress of that caliber, like, how do you not dig into this more instead of actually kind of making Miss Havisham like an afterthought to a lot of the story, which is just really weird because it's the part that people know. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, no, I, I, do, I don't disagree with you. Um, And I do think that part of the reason why uh, episode six to me felt so strong is because this is when she comes roaring back. Well, yeah, but it's because she gets to be crazy. Every actress loves a big crazy scene. It's true. And, you know, Shalom Brun Franklin, who plays Estella, like, She's I thought... honestly wonderful throughout the... She was my favorite part of the whole show. In episode six, the two of them, basically, this is when Estella basically breaks away. And I thought that their scenes together in episode six, even when there were draggy parts, that the fire and the energy that they brought helped like helped really energize the show for its final episode. No, I think that's true throughout the show too. Though there's a scene where they're fighting about whether Estella is going to marry that terrible nutmeg man. Oh, <laughs> and and like it's a really like that is when I was most engaged with the story when it was the two of them kind of negotiating and circling each other and and trying to figure out how they as women like have to navigate the world. I mean, this probably won't shock anybody who has listened to me talk about women in television ever. But like, I thought, I thought that was its most interesting through line. But like, after that fight about the horrible nutmeg man, it basically like that drops away until the very end, mm. and I don't like that. I I I I agree with you that that there should have been more of that. I don't know how. I don't know if if there was a level where they felt that they couldn't reorient Great Expectations to be the Miss Havisham story. Or, I mean, hi, if you want to make something, like, gritty and weird, make a prequel about her. Gah. Hello? I mean, I'm I'm tired of prequels, but I do wish that this had been the Miss Havisham cut of Great Expectations. I will say that. Or even just more of her and Estella. Like I said, that those scenes and their through line, their relationship through line, was the most, were the moments I was most engaged and interested in the show. And I just really never felt that level of connection with Pip's story in any way. I was like, maybe Jaguars will stab him. That'll be fun. Mm-hmm. But never, that never happened either. Um, there's just so much of the Pip and Jagger stuff that I don't, I feel like in the novel, is it, it or maybe not in the novel, maybe this is only in my brain. I feel like the Estella and Miss Havisham stuff should balance the Pip and Jagger stuff. Like, I feel like there should be like a certain level of narrative equality there that, that if this is these two characters like growing up and coming into their own, then then mm-hmm. we need to see that on both sides and not just like Pip doing drugs. <laughs> um, I don't, I'm not, I'm, 
don't think you're totally wrong there, no. Um, I do think that, that it was not as balanced as it should have been, and that we, we, as much as I would have liked this to be the Miss Havisham cut, I think that it would have at least done better to be a balanced cut and an ensemble piece more than Pip's story. I mean, part of it is that I just feel like the Estella here is so good and so actually realized in a way that she's not in some other adaptations that that not putting them on sort of equal narrative footing is a real mistake. Um, I want to talk just a little bit about the ending, not not in great detail, because I don't want to spoil things for people. Let's but- just say there are some substantial changes from the novel. Okay. Well, I think I think first thing we I think the first thing I think we need to talk about is that the novel itself changed its ending. Dickens' uh, original ending um, basically has Pip and Estella marry other people, and then they they become like widows and widowers. And in the original ending, Estella goes and remarries somebody else, and Pip stays single for the rest of his life. And apparently. Wilkie Collins, the guy who wrote A Woman in White. I had to look this up beforehand. Oh, Lord. Don't listen to that, man. I couldn't remember who it was, and I looked it up before we started the podcast. Um, is the one who went to him and said, that is too depressing. We want you to have... Some, we want we want some, We want want a happy ending for Pip and Estella. Let's, let's have Estella realize that she's made this huge mistake and that she does truly love Pip, and they get married and live happily ever after. And that is the revised ending, and that is the one that is considered canon. Um, this eschews both of those. It doesn't, it just, it just decides that we're not even going to do either of them. And I found that to be a very surprising choice. Partly because the way they do it does sort of create a happy ending, but it sort of loses the point. And I I disliked that a lot and felt very like I, I kept I was like, wait, isn't there another scene where where's the rest of it? Like, aren't we going to go? We're not going here. We're just going to leave it. We're not going to try this. And I, I, as much as I liked the finale and felt that it was the most propulsive since the, the first two-parter, I really was startled at the decision to basically create a completely different ending from the book, using the book, using the book's own plot to create what is effectively a completely different happy ending. And it's not particularly great. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't, like I said, I don't really care what happens to any of these people, so whatever. But, like, it's weird. It's weird. Uh, yes, it is weird. Because, you know, if you're going to change the ending and you're going to sort of change the, the, the lessons that Pip and Estella are supposed to take from their experiences, I don't understand why this is great expectations. <laughs> Um, Does that make sense? I mean, like, if we're going to just totally go whole hog, why not just have Miss Havisham and Estella like murder everybody in their house? Like, yeah. that'd be fun. Yeah, that's not... I, I, I that's guess. not what happens, but no, it, it, like, I would watch that. <laughs> I'm just here for the, the man <laughs> You very much are. Um, Come on, Miss Havisham is the avatar of this, and I don't know. Mm. I... I 
There are some other choices about Miss Havisham here that I also what? I don't I don't know. It doesn't feel as granted like going out by way of self-immolation is pretty iconic. Um <sighs> but uh, it's so hard to talk about this without telling you guys what happens because it is it, it I'm just to say it. I think it's dumb. And <gasps> I I mean I just I think it's dumb. And I hope other people like it or even the idea of it more than I do. I like the idea of it. I definitely like the idea of it. I also, um, it was the, it was, I had not seen the ending when I did the round table. I'd only watched the first three because I hadn't gotten all six. And there was, somebody asked Olivia Coleman about whether or not Miss Havisham was a feminist icon. And Olivia Coleman was like, uh, No. Well, uh, uh, no, and um, no. <laughs> but having seen how they basically try to give her this sort of agency with the way that they restaged the ending, I did suddenly understand why someone might try and see this turning Miss Havisham into a feminist icon. And a, I don't think she is. I think you're correct on her being a misandrist and that she's not, a, if anything, she's an antihero. Um, and she's certainly not a feminist one. Um, I, I don't know if it's the right thing to try to make her one. Um, gosh. No, I don't, I don't think she's feminist either because I don't think she's necessarily all that interested in sort of like, elevating women as a gender no i think she, she's not i think i think she she's um, just angry at men and that's not feminism no she's a and she's angry that she was denied a place in the world as it stands currently like she's yes. she is not she is not a, a female outsider because she has rejected this the sort of rules and 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 set up of, of the world in which she lives. She's an outsider because she was barred from it. And that's different. And also because she accepts that those things bar her. You know, she could have, okay, I got jilted. Screw off. Screw off everybody. Screw off all of this. And gone and done her own thing. I mean, look at, look at, uh, look at uh, Lady Denim. Lady yeah. Denim's out here jilting her own man at the altar. She's rich. Mm -hmm. Live your life, Mrs. Havisham. Miss Havisham. Yeah. Whatever. Change yeah. clothes. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I really don't see her as a feminist icon in any way. And I did feel like episode six, when I got to it, I was like, oh, that's why this question got asked. Because I think this show is trying to make her kind of feminist. And I think that's not the right way to do this at all. I don't think that that fits Miss Havisham at all. Um, I think... I th I think it is in some ways natural to try to glom onto the women of Dickens who feel powerful mm. because there aren't a lot of powerful women in Dickens. There aren't a lot of women. I mean, I no, and you're right. And there's not a lot of powerful women in these in in this era. It's hard to find stories about powerful women, which is why like things like Gentleman Jack stand out so much. And she's not, you know, like a a girl boss, gaslight gatekeeper or whatever it is kind of powerful woman. No. She is miserable. Um, she's crazy. She's spent her whole life with this sort of 
repressed rage at everything that she feels that was denied to her. Like, that's all very interesting stuff. But, like, you can have... And I understand this. It's sort of like the... I know there's Estella, who is actually maybe a better example of a, of a anti-heroine here in some ways. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's like the, the... It's like there's a woman here, so we are trying to make her be what we need her to be maybe more so than what she actually is on the page or screen because we want to have like a female character with real strength and agency Mm. in this story i think in this version estella actually comes the closest to that but i mean i understand it it's the same reason like everyone loves lady macbeth lady macbeth Mm. is a monster but she's also awesome and (laughs) you know sisters doing it for themselves i guess but like she's not a good person but she's a great character yeah um i will also note that this actress was great in season one of the tourist um which was the it's that Jude law forgot who he was dude oh no it's jamie dornan oh jamie dornan sorry <laughs> i don't know why i said Jude law i jamie dornan as the uh as as a lost uh a lost Irishman. It's unfortunate because I will never not see him in the fall and everything he's in. I just assume he's a serial killer in hiding, basically. But she was really good in that. And I, and she is actually one of the few reasons I want to watch Dune Sisterhood, considering that Dune Sisterhood exists. Oh, I didn't even see the first Dune. I don't care. That just looks <laughs> dumb. <laughs> um, but no, like I do actually think she's an incredible actress, and I'm she's by I- far like if I, I I will say that if if you come into this show and you're just looking for sort of an interesting to me the the, the its take on Estella is the thing that is best and freshest about it, mm. not the drugs and BDSM. Ha! Um, yeah, even though the drugs and BDSM are basically all that people talk about, can I also just like. I don't do that stuff, but like I don't like the fact that it's sort of treated as shameful and 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 I thought we were supposed to be beyond that. I thought we were supposed to be like open minded now. Well, I mean, it's look at when it's set. It's not it's not a thing people back then would have would have seen kindly. Okay. I just I just I just felt like it was there as like a as like a thing to like make you in the way that the pedophilia in 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 a Christmas Carol was there to make you go I felt like the BDSM was supposed to make you go and I was like no that's not really that I thought we weren't supposed to do that anymore I mean I didn't I didn't like read it like that but I was just like oh look at everybody like with the sort of uh, the like the underbelly of the repressive outer lives that's how I read it okay but uh, there's too much Jaggers in this, I also have to say. I, you know, I thought the guy who played Jaggers was really good, though. No, he was so really I... good, but I was just like, wow, how... <laughs> too much. Too much. Yeah, I I, I had... You know, I think Ashley Thomas is the guy who uh, who, who plays Jaggers. And um, honestly, like, I, I thought he was great. Um, And it's one of those things where, like, where... I wasn't sure what they were going to do with it because I wasn't sure if this was going to be a race conscious casting or a blind mm. casting. Um, he was in Top Boy um, is the first place I ever saw him. Where do we think it falls on that? Because there are moments where I'm like, oh, this matters. And then there are moments where I'm like, never mind, it doesn't matter. I, it's really messy. I think they want to make it matter. I'm just, I think in a lot of ways, there's a level where they almost feel like they can't go there. 
Like they're not like for all that this is supposed to be transgressive, that there is a holding back. And I feel like that they wanted to make this race conscious, but they didn't quite have the nerve. Well, it's also, again, like there's two black people in the story. Mm. So <laughs> it's right. just it's just right. It's, yeah. I don't know. I don't like it. It sits sort of uncomfortably in the middle that I think I have to assume it's just like. That it, that it was good that it's colorblind rather than 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 color conscious. Yeah, I have because otherwise wouldn't there be other black people? You'd think. Anyway, um, so yeah, I I I I do think he was. I do think he was brilliant. I just I, I don't. I I forgave the show for for giving us more of it almost because they'd gotten such a good actor for it. But then again, you know, they should have also then given us more Olivia Coleman by that logic. So yeah. Yeah. I don't know. This is messy. This adaptation is messy. Messy. That's a good that's a good word for it. It also makes me a little worried about the fact that like um Stephen Knight's next project is a a Shakespeare drama about the printing of the first folio, which he's doing with Sarah Lancashire. Well, legitimately dirty time period. <laughs> and I mean dirty like actual dirt, not dirty like BDSM. <laughs> Or maybe, who knows? But <laughs> well, um, you know, if we see Shakespeare doing drugs, we'll know. <laughs> I don't even know what kind of drugs you do in the 16th century. I'm sure somebody does. I just am not one of those people. I don't know. This is I would Google this, but I don't really want the ads that I'm sure would come up <laughs> after I Googled what kind of drugs did William Shakespeare's contemporaries do. Kit Marlowe probably did something. <laughs> I feel confident about that. Um, anyway, yeah, this Great Expectations is just real messy. I was not a big fan of it. I think it, I think Annie liked it more than I did. I did. It felt, like a, it felt like a lot of work, but Estella's great, so that was at least a nice a nice surprise. Um, yeah, maybe we could just make some different Dickens. Maybe maybe we could do that. We could make some different Dickens, or we could let Stephen Knight do Oliver, or both. Um, I would be down with Oliver. I said that before, but like it's like that for me actually really jives with his aesthetic because it is literally like a gang of child slaves who rob people for a rat faced man and a woman gets beaten to death by her abusive boyfriend. Like, what about this does not say Stephen Knight to you? <laughs> um, and I say that with love because Peaky Blinders is honestly one of my favorite shows Peaky Blinders the movie is coming oh right I forgot they were doing that R.I.P. Helen McCrory that show really needs you but mm -hmm. you have left us we miss you um I guess that's our show about great expectations it's the thing that I watched and will not watch again so I hope you all have better experiences with it than I did and send me your hate mail about my opinion if you need to I understand uh, Annie, tell the people where they can find you on the internet. Uh, you can find me at Annie Bundle, basically on all the Twitter and Twitter clones that you can find out there. Uh, you can find me at Miss Annie Bundle at Facebook. You can find me at Annie Bundle on Instagram, where it's mostly pictures of my very fuzzy cats being very fuzzy. I am staff No, I'm not. I am the uh, associate editor here at Televisions, um, and I also freelance on the web. And yeah, I uh. If you want to know what I wrote today, just basically go, like, find me on one of those social media platforms where I retweet, re-whatever re they call it, depending on what they are, um, all my violence. Yeah. 
I post all my bylines. How about that? There we go. I found a word. Go me. Huzzah. Uh, I am Lacey MB on Twitter and all sites that are vaguely like Twitter out on the internet. I just joined Blue Sky, which is kind of chaotic and weird. Uh, <laughs> but like Annie, I write a lot here at televisions and around the entertainment web, but I always tweet my bylines. So come be my friend. Talk to me about lots of things on the internet. Uh, if you just want the site, it's online at... Uh, Telly underscore visions on Twitter. Had to think about it. And televisions blog, all one word on Facebook. If you like what we do, you can visit us at televisions.org and check out all of our news updates, listicles, recaps, reviews, random things we were thinking about during any given day. And maybe even help us out by clicking that donate button up top to help us keep making all of this great content and get access to PBS Passport, which is full to bursting with new exclusive binges and extras and all kinds of things you can watch the new tom jones adaptation before it airs you can watch new shows what's coming in may marriage and uh our house which is not in the middle of our street (laughs) but yeah there's lots of stuff check it out i'm sure you will find something there's also like eight million walter's choice shows um, oh, we, uh, we should tell the people that Walter's Choice is finally done with its big old deluge. The last of them are coming May 4th. And after that, it's just going to be like one or two titles every Friday. But time to catch up is what I'm hearing. Um, mm-hmm. That is our show. Thank you for listening. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Get a COVID booster, some high-powered allergy medica- medication. I don't know, sunscreen. I got sunburned like after being outside for like 15 minutes the other day so it is rough out there uh do something nice for somebody you don't know it'll help them make you feel better and we will see you next week thanks for listening